Past, present, future, live. In-depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. Today, we're bringing you an interview with Ben Carr, who performs under the name Cartoons. Ben is a bass player, producer, and a prolific Instagrammer. He has a new album out called Saturday Morning, and we talked about the creative process, how this album came together, his influences, and how he's used social media to build his following. It's a really interesting conversation. After the interview, you'll hear Ben performing Give It Up, That Thing, and Ben on the Run. Here's my interview with Ben Carr. All right, I'm here with Ben Carr. Ben, how you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for joining. How do you describe yourself? Because you do a lot of things musically. How would you introduce yourself? I would say now, these days, I'm a producer first. To other people, I think I'm more of a bass player first because, you know, my, my career is definitely built on playing gigs on bass, you know, yeah. since I was, you know, in high school, early college, I was playing a lot of upright jazz gigs for a long time. And now, you know, I've definitely transitioned towards being back on the computer. Once I really fully started discovering the one man band potential that was at the time, I feel like more newly capable around like 2014, 2015, where I was like, wow, drums can fool me now. Uh-huh. You know, like some of these things that are made with MIDI stuff and other stuff is like officially I can't tell. <laughs> um, and I was, you know, started to get really, really fascinated into that stuff. And around that time, my project that I was working on, you know, I wasn't working on it anymore. So I had all the time in the world. And I was like, all right, let's 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 get back on the computer, uh, start making some music and maybe start reaching out to some other people. That's really cool. And we're going to talk about that because I want to talk about some of those um, releases you put out there. They're really cool. And, and there's a lot to dig into. I want to go back first. What's your first musical memory? My first musical memory would probably be with my neighbor, Evan, who, you know, moved up from the Bronx up to the Hudson Valley next door to me when, you know, we were five or six years old. The first thing I really remember listening to him or with him was was actually Beastie Boys, believe it or not. Okay. You know, it was probably like first grade. His stepdad was kind of cool and would, would slip us some stuff um, when we were too young to be checking it out most of the time. <laughs> and, you know, my friend tells a story like, you know, the song Girls by Beastie Boys, which, you know, is a song that's cer- certainly canceled now. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we were having fun and listening to that. And, uh, you know, I figured out the little piano line on his Casio keyboard as we were listening to it. And he was like blown away that I could figure it out. But I mean, it's certainly if you listen to the song, it's not in rocket science. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was like the first thing that we can really cite as far as me having at least some intuition for it. The first thing I remember, at least. Was your family like playing music? Was there a lot of music around? Totally. My dad actually is a jazz musician. Okay. Um, like his bag in, you know, the seventies, eighties was, he was a jazz violin guy, you know, went to Berkeley, was playing with uh, a drummer named Alan Dawson, uh, who, you know, was playing with like the Brubeck brothers and yeah. you know, was t- teaching Tony Williams. And yeah. A bunch of, you know, a very heavy jazz drummer in his own right. My dad was one of the people in his band and played with Bucky Pizzarelli and all these gypsy jazz people as well. So I have like a little bit of background in that, you know, he was not doing as much of it by the time he got his uh, ed degree and came, you know, was my dad, <laughs> you know, and was teaching, you know, you know, middle and high school orchestra. But, you know, he basically, when he talks about it now, it's like, I just put stuff around the house, you know, he certainly didn't force it down my throat or anything. Like, uh, we didn't really do many formal lessons or mm-hmm. I didn't study with my dad or anything like that. But I was blown away when I would see him learn stuff without like music or whatever. You know, me and my brother would be like, teach us how to play this Blink-182 song or Red Hot Chili Peppers, whatever the the stuff of that moment was. And he could just, you know, figure it out on guitar. Yeah. Because, you know, he was a multi-instrumentalist yeah. and mess around or whatever. So that was, that was what got me interested. I'm the youngest sibling, too. So, you know, I just was really curious by my older siblings who, you know, had already kind of we're discovering this like, oh yeah, I have good rhythm. 
internally. I don't really know why. I just like jamming and it's fun, you know. And neither of my siblings are like professional musicians or anything like that. But they're both incredibly naturally gifted. And we all we all love music. I mean, it's our it's our language that truly bonds us <laughs> probably more than the English language at this point. Really. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So I guess figuring out the piano line to girls isn't that surprising. But in what way did it bond you all? It was it is it was it listening to music growing up, playing? I mean, what 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 is it about it? Not playing. It's not like a typical family band or anything like mm-hmm. that. But listening to the radio was huge. My sister was on a travel swim team. So by default, I went to probably like, you know, a thousand swim practices. And, uh, you know, it was in the minivan or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, classic Hudson Valley family. And, you know, I was obsessed with it. I knew the words to every song. I would call in to, you know, WRV in Poughkeepsie or whatever. Uh, you know, when I was 10, 11, <laughs> I would prank call them. I would do whatever, you know, I was just bored. Yeah. And, you know, by the time like alternative rock was really thriving, I was, I was obsessed with it. Like Smashing Pumpkins was just in my ear already, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and like that kind of stuff. So my first band was called Flash 44. So you can, you can get a, a hint of what we were <laughs> influenced by. You Got know? it. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that was the thing at that time. It's yeah. like, you got a, you got a thing and then you got a number. We had like seven names, so Flash 44 <laughs> is just one of the many. Um, My first band was called White Darkness. White Darkness, yeah, wow. Like 19, you know, 19, I, was, I think we were in fourth grade, maybe fifth grade. <laughs> nice, yeah, that was around the same time. Yeah. You know? I mean, I was like, you couldn't stop me from an early age. Yeah, like I was, yeah. I'd get really psyched on stuff and then like forget about it yeah, for yeah, a year yeah. and then, you know, yeah. whatever. I'm kind of the same way. It's like I'm hyper-focused on stuff for a couple months and there's no telling me I can't finish it. And then by the time I finish it, I'm like, ah, I hate it. <laughs> Did you continue to to play in different bands as you were growing up? Was that like a constant? Totally. As many bands as would let me. Yeah. Um, but I, I played with my friend Kyle and, you know, every iteration of a band I really had, basically, up until we were in college. Okay. And uh, I was like, you know, the Battle of the Bands guy. I was, you know, I even, we played at Battle of the Bands that weren't even our schools. <laughs> um, we were, you know, if we could, you know, and that was, a, that's the only way you can make money when you're like 16. Mm-hmm. And like, you want to make money being whatever, mm-hmm. um, that's not like a lifeguard. So yeah, but you know, I, me and him, you know, we watched a Led Zeppelin DVD when we were like 12 together and we're like, this is it, man. So obviously I'm not exactly, you know, doing anything in that world anymore, but that was really the spark for me. Like that kind of stuff, you know, the classic rock stuff really took it to like a completely different level. Once you, once we got in the door through the modern stuff, like the classic rock stuff really hit hit on a different way yeah and and i still am just like obsessed and a student of the music of that that time particularly yeah yeah i totally get that i think we're probably about the same age because i feel the same way like and that's sort of like when you transition from listening to whatever your family or parents listen to to listening to your own music right discovering classic rock is a pretty overwhelming but awesome discovery do you remember a like concert a live show that you saw that that really like kind of changed you Victor Wooten is the first thing that comes to mind. My dad, I say that he didn't give me lessons, but he did. He actually had a student who uh, was like a student at his school mm-hmm. who was a kid that was about, you know, that had just started going to Berkeley. And he loved my dad. You know, he would he would do anything for my dad because he like, you know, actually more viscerally taught him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he would basically come over for a lesson with my dad on like recording and other stuff. And uh, he would teach me in exchange for that. His name is Seth Rivers. Shout out to Seth if he ever hears this. And he gave me a CD called Bass Gods um, when I was 12 that I'll definitely never forget. Like, this was what my college essay was about. Like, this was, you know, cha- like the most transformative thing for me was hearing, you know, You Can't Hold No Groove by Victor, hearing Teen Town for the first time, you know, by Weather Report, What Is Hip. Tower of Power. Mm-hmm. At the time, they were nameless bass players. To mm-hmm. me. They were, mm-hmm. It was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, it was hard to really get any information on what it was, right. to right. be honest. A lot of it was just like mystical to me. Mm-hmm. And I could find a couple of the videos on LimeWire that like corresponded to it <laughs> um, or whatever. But I was really just figuring it out. Because of that, I got obsessed with Victor and we, my parents took me to go see him at the Iridium. Yeah, man. It was just like, you know, the, the most transformative experience. Oteil Burbridge, Steve Bailey, Victor Wooten, forget who was playing drums, Dorico Watson. 
Yeah, so it was like the base extremes, quote unquote. I believe it was a product. Wow. And I probably I wore that shirt till it, you know, it had holes in it. I wanted to let everybody know, like, yo, you guys, you guys are missing out. You guys don't even, you don't know about Victor Wooten and all that. So I was, I was a super fan of his stuff and it's too bad. I stopped practicing how to play music like that. Cause I can't even hang at all with like that level of virtuosity and, uh, on, on a one man bass player machine or whatever he is, uh, was really inspiring to me as a kid. And that was, you know, I just like wanted to be that good at something. Yeah. Uh, wh- wh- you know, who knows what that was going to be. But. Wow. How old were you at that concert? Because that must have been an interesting experience going into the city and going to a, like a club. I yeah. Mean, I was in seventh grade. Did it like blow your mind, just the experience of it? Oh, hell yeah. I remember seeing Victor Wooten walking down the street before the thing, and it was like seeing Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it, it, like, it didn't seem possible to me that he could want to get a sandwich before the show. <laughs> You know, or whatever. Yeah. And like, we were like, hey, what's up, man? And uh, he was like, uh, yeah, what's up? It's like, I'm just trying like, to get he's a like, not, He's like, even he's like not used to being recognized, like on the yeah. level of famous that he was to me at that moment. Like, yeah, he might as well have been Beethoven, dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Um, but yeah, Victor was, you know, my hero and still, I mean, still is one of my heroes. I mean, I don't actively listen to his music as much, but definitely just one of those people that just his his force in music and has been a real good teacher and influence to one of my my best friends growing up uh just you know one of those good people <laughs> and That's i'm lucky great. to have discovered his music so early you know i'm lucky it didn't take till i was 18 to hear that i was yeah. lucky i heard it when i was like 12 I had a time to soak it in before you know and maybe play way too many notes before i met people later in life So where did you go to college and how did that evolve? Because that's usually a pretty big turning point musically for people. Totally. So my whole life, I was like, man, I'm going to go to Berkeley. I'm going to change my life, whatever. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really, to be honest, I wasn't a very studious practicer in high school. I was really, uh, you know, I was actually probably a better tennis player than a musician. And like sports in my area are king. You know, that was the thing. You yeah. know, it's like, if you want to be cool, you got to like be good at that stuff. Like the artsy stuff wasn't, wasn't really, I don't know. It wasn't getting me cool points, I guess, at the time. And, you know, you're just like at school, like 12 hours a day. There's no time to, you know, I had a job and stuff afterwards. So it was hard for me to really practice. If it wasn't making songs I could play with my band or whatever, mm-hmm. or jamming with friends, I wasn't like trying to learn Stella by mm-hmm. Starlight or some stupid shit like that. Yeah. And, um, but then, you know, I, you know, my senior year, I started being like, well, I, I am maybe a little behind on this. Uh, I really, you know, this whole time I've been telling myself I'm going to go to music school. Yeah. So, you know, I started doing all this stuff and I auditioned for, you know, all the schools that you're supposed to if you're good at music. And they were all like, you're not very good at music, bro. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> and uh, I ended up going to a small school, which was, this is the best thing that ever happened to me, though, uh, called Western Connecticut State University, known as Westcon to everybody mm-hmm. that's ever been there. Mm-hmm. One of those hole-in-the-wall kind of schools. But the kids that were there that were older than me were fucking killing. At first, I definitely couldn't play any reindeer games with them, like... I hadn't played upright in my life, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I picked it up like the first week I bought one, you know, and it was like, all right, I'm gonna figure it out. And it had blisters like, you know, crazy for wow. you know, a couple weeks, a couple months. That was like the ego crushing moment for me where I was like, wow, I really need to work on this. And, you know, I was lucky that I basically started a project when I was there that I just hired the kids that were older than me that were good uh, under the umbrella that I was like, I know this girl, Joanna Teeters, who's incredible. We know each other from high school. Mm-hmm. She actually dated said friend that knows Victor Wooten, blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know, all small world things. Yeah. And I was like, come jam with us, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that ended up kind of being like, oh, maybe like this will be like my in. You know, I'm a guy that's been in bands my whole life up until that point in my freshman year of college. I was like, I'm not in any bands. I feel weird. I don't have any projects. Yeah. I'm just like practicing all the time. It wasn't really sure if it was going anywhere for me. And it wasn't till after that year was over that I started figuring stuff out. You know, it was like a full year of like, hmm. And then uh, that summer after my freshman year, me and Joanna started hanging and writing some music. We actually made a bass and vocal EP. Okay. You know, just made it on Logic, like when I knew three plugins that worked. Mm-hmm. And um, we started performing and putting that out as a CD, a burn CD. The first day we like played it and 
we did it. We made a ton of money. It was awesome. Wow. awesome. <laughs> and like, it was like, I was like, wow, this project actually works. Like this girl's <laughs> really good. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to this. And, you know, I've been working with Joanna for over 10 years now, you know, we're super close still. And, you know, I'm, I'm producing her current project. God bless her. Like the first song from that project has like over 600,000 plays now. And yeah, I mean, people haven't even really heard the new stuff yet. So, um, we had just kind of started to play, you know, the story of my life and everybody's life right now. It's like, I had just started to play my yeah. stuff and then yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, um, you know, we had just kind of started getting a little bit momentum doing that. And unfortunately, this set that back a little bit. But, you know, she's one of many people I'm really excited about, like hearing her next thing and where it goes or whatever. And, you know, we've been working for so long that it's like a brother sister thing yeah it's it's like deeper than music at this point you know and that's that's the kind of relationships i've been trying to build and hone rather than uh getting caught up in the name droppy aspect of the music business that's really tempting to me at this age you know because it's like it's like i want to make money though guys yeah but but these are these are the projects that matter matter the most to me still so was not getting into all those other music schools was that like a huge blow to you or did you just kind of move on and yeah i'm a petty person for sure (laughs) um i don't know it depends on your perspective right some people just like see the silver lining and move on no 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 no. i went to berkeley all the time (laughs) joanna got into berkeley okay so she started going there like my sophomore year and i started to go visit every once in a while and you know now i had like a little bit of an in i wasn't just going as a stranger yeah i was going you know like with a friend who at the time like you know that was a very strong freshman class She was hanging with some really cool people. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. This is basically as good as going to school here, to be honest. (laughs) Every time I run into someone in Brooklyn, they always think I went to Berkeley because I was there at that time. Got it. I might as well have gone. They didn't see each other in class either. Yeah. They all went there for like six days and left anyway. (laughs) So, and then uh, my brother had actually gone to SUNY Purchase in in White Plains. That and Berkeley were like the schools I wanted to go to. Purchase seemed like maybe a more realistic choice, but I didn't get in. Okay. I didn't get into a- anything, which and was that's like, a good kind of crushed me. Oh, yeah. Purchase is like incredible. They have a little conservatory and the jazz program is like a lot of people that also teach at Juilliard and, mm-hmm. you know, the faculty I can't, I can't speak highly enough about at, at, at Purchase. I think some of them might be a little stuck in the past. We will say to put it lightly. <laughs> um, but, uh, I learned a ton there and it really, it really, uh, made me learn the fundamentals and the history of, of jazz and specifically black American music in a way that I'm really glad that I know now. And that I feel like I'm at least trying to honor that in the best way that I can. So how do, how do your playing evolve over the years? Because when I hear your current stuff, it sounds influenced by a lot of things, R and B and Motown, soul, um, funk for sure were you playing all those different kinds of music all along or did your playing style evolve i was listening to it all along for sure i didn't find the real like connection between what i was truly loved and listened to and what i'm actually doing on the instrument to like what 15 years in Mm -hmm. you know at first i was really just doing what i could to play and the genre was then and still is not the first thing that's important to me i like want to be able to get the moment the feeling you know and you know at the time it was, it was such an innocent time when i was learning like i wasn't like oh i like hip-hop i need to play that i was mm-hmm. just like these are my friends we're jamming we're just finding chords that work and like mm-hmm. making shit up it was like we weren't that word and we were very into a band an instrumental band from ireland at that time called uh the redneck manifesto definitely check them out like one of the most obscure bands you'll ever hear in your life but they they have this like very cool minimalist approach that like we could kind of do um because it wasn't that hard you know what i mean uh and so we just kind of mimicked their sound and their their music for a while and then uh you know, by the time I was 16 to 18, I was such a hip hop head, but also I worked at the YMCA, which played oldies all day. Okay. So like, you know, and I've been a member since I was a kid, but this was my job now. Every day after school, I'd go, you know, lifeguard there, teach swim lessons or whatever. So I was stuck there for like six hours a day. And um, I started loving this shit, man. At first it's like, you know, like the Stevie Wonder ones always got me, right? Yeah. And then like, you know, then some of the deep cuts, you start like being like, I kind of fuck with this. This is pretty great. <laughs> so I became like a real oldies head by the end of that. And I would just bring around my iPod to parties and play oldies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, like that was my thing really mm-hmm. for a while. I was like a character from a 70s movie, basically. I was I like Matthew McConaughey. I think that's um, a good way to go. I mean, it's it's sort of timeless, but also 
maybe more musically sophisticated than people gave it credit for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's just like the music that, you know, the people that know me like really well know, like if you put on some, some classic Motown while I'm around, the, the mood will change for me. I am a grouchy man in general, but, uh, <laughs> but if you put on some, some classics, you will see me smile and do, do an old man dance pretty, yeah. pretty quickly. What is so, it about uh, that? What is it about that music? I don't know, man. I think it, I think some of it's memories now for me. Mm. You know, I think uh, there's always that. It's like, is this my memory of this that's making me like this so much? Is this because it's so familiar now? I don't really know. I think yeah. that's part of it for sure. And yeah, I don't know. It just like it just transports me. You know, mm-hmm. music just isn't recorded like that anymore. So it just it just feels like a different just feels like a different planet. You know, when you're listening to it, uh, and just like knowing what I know about the the process of recording in you know the '60s and '70s now, I, I'm so jealous of the restrictions of that, and I, I really actively create those restrictions a lot for myself now. I want to ask you about the evolution of kind of technology, because as I said, I think we're probably about the same age and we've like been around a lot of technological change. And the way it applies to music is so immense, you know, from absolutely the eight tracks to, you know, like you said, you can do anything on the computer now. How have you approached that changing technology as it's evolved? Have you embraced it? Have you tried to stay, you know, classic? What's your kind of approach to it? I definitely embrace it more especially more than like most like jazz heads you'll find Mm -hmm. people that are my personality type generally dismiss it and are like i'm gonna get an mpc just make all my beats on there you know whatever yeah but i love the computer i started making stuff on stuff that was very limiting so once i got stuff that i could do the stuff i was like why would i go back there that's ridiculous um i you know was bouncing mixes to floppy disks when I was, you know, in fifth grade. Amazing. <laughs> so, like, I'm not trying to go back there, man. Like, that shit sucked. <laughs> um, it was a terrible time for me. Yeah. Um, and it took, like, eight hours if I wanted to change, like, you know, the bass sound or whatever. So I really embrace plugins and, and all that stuff now. And I just try to work really fast and really stream of consciousness with what I have and try to keep it as organic as I can. You know, I want to... I'm, I'm trying to, you know, now make sure that everything I record on the way in is sounding better than it used to. So I'm not doing, you know, so much after the fact that it's really coming in pure and I'm not trying to just have like a more, uh, let's say like an EDM approach Yeah. to like, yeah, that wasn't good, but like, we'll make it cool. Uh-huh. Uh, which is kind of like, you know, the, what, 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 uh, the older generation is terrified of with production. So I want to at least, you know, keep some imperfections and, um, keep some, some raw stuff in there. Cause I think my, what I have going for me is that I really can play the instrument. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to lean into that and whatever, like the skill set I have is allowing me to do, I'm trying to just do that. Even if there's like some flaws in it, cause I find that people, first of all, don't hear that. And generally, if they do f- hear it as personality and not really as like a flaw per se. So the album Cartoons Volume 3, which was which was 2018, what happened leading up to that? Because I, I assume that there was a lot that happened leading up to that in terms of just your own production and also songwriting. Well, we're talking about before Cartoons Volume 3 now? Yeah, yeah. Like what happened in between college and that? Right. So I guess not a lot of people have connected that I'm this person also, but I, me and Joanna had a band that uh, was called Mad Sata at the time. Mm-hmm. And that was my project for like five years. That was, you know, my pride and joy, really. And, you know, my all my friends from Westcon and, and one friend from Purchase. And uh, we wrote all original stuff. And uh, we were lucky enough to open for, like, Thundercat, you know, Guapale, some heavy hitters in the R&B world. Mm-hmm. That, you know, was my in to New York City at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, you know, we got to play at Winter Jazz Fest with like a lot of the dudes who, you know, I refer to as jazz famous, mm-hmm. all the people that in my world were like, you know, super famous. And I was terrified to play in front of them, got to at least an opportunity to make myself known a little bit, you know, yeah. in retrospect, some of those, I feel like I blew it a little bit <laughs> and maybe it was like young and naive or whatever, but you know, that was a great time for me. That was like the first, that gave me a lot of hope, you mm-hmm. know, that I, I created a project from nothing, you know, 
And me and Joanna really created it together, but I was the manager, quote unquote, mm-hmm. the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was really the guy behind the scenes, like sending emails and sending group texts all day and really, you know, was the, the community organizer of the group. Mm-hmm. It, you know, moments it definitely felt like babysitting, you know, but, but I loved it. And, you know, I love those guys and I, I was all in on that project for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, uh, if things had gone a different way, for sure, I could be talking to you right now. It's just doing that for sure. You know, project, we were an eight person band, mm-hmm. which is a, you know, when you're in college seems like a feasible thing because you guys see each other all the time. Yeah. But, you know, as you become older and getting more and more spread out geographically, you know, the commitments I was asking people to do were ridiculous. I can't even believe people were doing it. Um, <laughs> like in retrospect, it's like, you guys did this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so sorry for whatever, you know, whatever. Like what, like what kind of thing? Just like driving to Vermont for $20 or whatever, you know, it's like, uh, you know, how worth it is this? Yeah. At certain points, you have to ask yourself, like, is this real? Are we delusional? Like, mm-hmm. But, you know, I learned a ton doing that. And like that gave us like a little platform to write our own music and get it out there. And we might have been a little green and too excited at moments. But we we had like an album called Comfort that did really well. And the song Reach Out. I'm still really proud of. Yeah. I didn't actually write that one. Zane, Zane West wrote that, but yeah, I mean, I'm still super, super proud of all the stuff that I did with those guys. And you know, that like set me up to do whatever I'm doing now without that, there is no, this for sure. And you know, it definitely with cartoons, I was like, Oh, I could get people together, especially Mm -hmm. if I don't have to do it all at once. (laughs) You know, I can get features on an album. That's no problem. And then, you know, right at the end of Mad Sada, I felt like maybe I was, um, as a lot of large bands do, you're like, I, maybe this isn't like my sound anymore. So I started writing my own music and uh, released a project called Butterville around that time, dedicated yeah. to a little road in New Paltz right next to where I grew up. And, you know, that was kind of like some singery, singer-songwriter vibes of sorts. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe. It's kind of like a jazz school kid's interpretation of singer-songwriter <laughs> music, I suppose. Um <laughs> Uh, you know, I still love that music is actually great, like for like falling asleep or whatever, like very like chill, mm-hmm. um, late night vibes. And from there, I started what was going to be the next Butterville project was actually Cartoons Volume One. Because okay. around that time, I had a moment where, you know, I put in a hard drive that it was at my dad's house, actually. My dad had basically put as like a copyright under all of his songs, even though I'm pretty sure he's never copyrighted anything in his life. Okay. Um, Cartoons, spelled C A R R T U N E S. Ah, um, interesting. Like true, true dad joke cartoons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, mine is only half dad joke um, <laughs> cartoons, and so that like popped up, and I had like an oh shit moment. Like, wow, that's the stage name. And yeah, you know, me, my dad. And, you know, he busts my balls every time I see him. I stole his name or whatever. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not like he was using it as a name. Seems like a good thing to repurpose. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's, he's just mad that I'm using a different spelling because I think it looks better <laughs> with, the, with the two O's than the, the U. Yeah. The U just felt, I don't know, it just felt like too much. That was, that was a, a conversation for a long time before anything. <laughs> that was like a six-month conversation. Okay. It was like, is this going to be a U or two O's? Um, yeah. Because you get it instantly yeah. with the U. Yeah. People actually don't even realize that my name is Ben Carr or that it, there are two R's in the yeah, name. Like, yeah. there, people are very like six months late on that every time. Like People message me all the time like, wow, I just realized what your thing is. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Short I, I, attention fun, spans. But, yeah, that's, uh, you know, shout out to my dad for, for making up that name, Loki. Wow. And, uh, yeah, Cartoons Volume 1 and 2 are actually, they do exist, they're just on, only on Bandcamp right now. Okay. There was just some complications with other people putting those songs out as well. Okay. And then you can't put out two versions of the same thing if they're not a different title. Got it. I don't know. I'm sure I probably could figure it out, but now it feels so old to me that I'm just like, let's just keep moving forward. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I've been making a ton of music recently, and... uh I feel like I've been kind of hoarding some of my music, I guess, but, uh, if, you know, I'm just ready for a new thing. So I'm not, I'm not trying to focus on, uh, releasing those. The stuff that I've heard is, is super groove focused, but with a lot of samples and a lot of guests and, um, 
There's a lot going on in those. And I take it now that your production is sort of like your main gig. I mean, you write the you write stuff too, but making this all sound awesome together is something that I don't understand how to do it. <laughs> and it seems like you're really good at it. How do you approach these songs in terms of samples and vocals and instruments? Is, do you have a method in terms of how you create? Well, first of all, thanks. I appreciate that. And, and second of all, I would say... It, the process always changes, and I would say the process on any thing you've heard is probably different. Okay. As far as, as song, as far as like project to project, and for me that often informs what the actual project is, like how I made it or what the feeling I'm going for is. The stuff with the like the Upstate album that's mm-hmm. out right now, like for me that's like I was listening to a ton of Catronata and like you know kind of dance-based music, you yeah. know, and, and my friend kind of, you know, who I was working with, uh, Drew of the Drew was kind of like, man, I want to hear you do like more up-tempo stuff. Like, I love the samples you use. I like want to hear you do something that like we could play at a club. And I was doing some DJ sets at the time. And, you know, I realized a lot of my music was like, at that time was like, man, I can only play this like in a DJ set in the context of like, maybe MF Doom or you know, some Jay Dilla or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I feel like maybe I want to expand a little bit past that. So I was really pushing myself to make more up-tempo music at that time. You know, do stuff where I was like playing bass last. You know, like I had a, a composition that actually works and then I could, you know, use the bass as kind of like the cherry on top in that in that particular project. Which, you know, is definitely that concept a little bit has stuck with me going forward because I was like, all right, that works. You know, like yeah. playing bass last on stuff is a great way for me to like treat it like a solo instrument, hmm, yeah. you know, and, and maybe feature it in a cool way that I think people enjoy hearing from me. The, what I'm working on now is very different than that. Different from what you would hear on, on Upstate. Oh, absolutely. I would say it's like, it's so different. It's like preposterous when I hear that. I'm like, wow, that's like crazy how recent that was that I was working on. That. What's inspiring you now? Well, I think I've gotten a lot more connected to kind of the oldies, stuff we were talking about earlier and i want to get a lot more specific with that and not just like so general like oh this is soul music Mm -hmm. because i find a lot of people are doing quote-unquote soul music and i want to get a little more in there than that so i don't know i it started as recreating some tracks that are you know great and i love basically covers of sorts Mm -hmm. and transformed into be like all right i got to start making my own samples so I'm going to make compositions that I'm later going to sample, and that will be the song. I'll make a, I'll make a bunch of source material, mm-hmm. so to speak. So now I have, you know, probably like since quarantine, I've probably made like 60 of those compositions without drums, and then probably like 100 drum loops. Wow. And then combine them in different ways. And a lot of what people, you know, will hear on my Instagram is me basically just resampling those compositions yeah. over drum loops that I make and you know, playing on them, basically playing bass, you know, the way that I was doing an upstate really works for like an Instagram format. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, I can be a little more shreddy or whatever than I would in, in real life. But yeah, so that's like a completely different thing for me right now. And, and to be honest, a lot of the times I would start thinking like, I'm just going to chop up the sample, like, you know, kind of like on some, some old school, like take each part and really like chop the hell out of it. But more than not now, these are just the songs themselves re-sped and pitched to the drums because I just kind of have so many different variations of them kind of mix and match with the, with the DJ mindset. And I'm just kind of tr- trying to create stuff I want to hear more so than I was before where I was think I was, it's hard to get out of your ego when you're making music. Like, I think this is cool, so I want to present it versus I genuinely like love this and want to share it. Yeah. I, in my mind, I'm getting closer to the second part now. And yeah, I just, you know, I, I feel a lot more connected to the two projects I'm kind of sitting on right now. One, one is called Saturday Morning and that, that one's, that one's done. And, uh, the other one is kind of, uh, will be like a long instrumental mixtape that that's tentatively called Homegrown. Okay. That will be kind of like the greatest hits of whatever my Instagram is, I guess. Cool. And, uh, you know, I think that will be for a lot of people that are fans of that world, that will be like a real bullseye for whatever they, they want to hear right now. And also what I'm really excited about making too. So I love making instrumental stuff. Like that's what I grew up doing. Like the band I referenced earlier, Redneck Manifesto, that's like an instrumental project mm-hmm. that I was obsessed with, you know, forever. I was like not trying to hear bands with vocalists for a minute, you know, even as early as high school. Yeah. So I'm always dedicated to like going back and forth between like 
oh, I want to make stuff for rappers and vocalists. And no, no, this is, this works. This works as an entity. Like, I love this as a beat. Like, I don't need to hear anything else on this. That's cool. And it sounds like you're doing production stuff as well for other artists. Yeah, that's definitely how I've been, you know, paying rent and, you know, making my living for the last year or so. Yeah. Is, you know, helping people try to make their, their project a reality, mm-hmm. um, whether that's, you know, remotely or not. A lot of it was remotely for me before the pandemic. So I was very, very lucky that I was somewhat prepared for this in, in that way. And a lot yeah. of people have been reaching out to me for help and I'm, and I'm happy to give it. And for anybody that hears this, that needs a little guidance, feel free to reach out because I love sharing the information. I don't want to be stingy with it. And yeah. I think uh, people are trying to make some stuff a lot more mystical than it really is. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And we, and obviously we'll link to your information and so people know how to get a hold of you. I want to ask just about your bass playing style, mostly because you, you talked about using it as a solo instrument. And it seems like that is part of the way you approach it. But I know there are a few bassists, you mentioned Victor Wooten, and there are probably others who kind of influence your style but can you talk a little bit about how you approach playing the bass and why people might think it's pretty unique well because of my motown background subconsciously james jamerson became my guy Mm -hmm. carol k as well Mm -hmm. Um, that style always really stuck out to me and i think i always kind of had this vision of like I'm going to do a different version of like a Motown hip hop thing in the world of like an Amy Winehouse vibe. Mm-hmm. Right. But like mm-hmm. maybe, maybe whatever that means to me, I, I feel like I just got lost there. Well, one of my colleagues talked about the use of arpeggios and oh, right, right, using right. We're that, talking about my bass style. Yeah. Right, right. I was like, and I was like, where, how did I even get here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, it, it's, a, it's a mix between like the Motown influence, the, mm-hmm. the James Jamerson hip hop vision from, from high school. And, Spending years playing jazz gigs, you know, transcribing records, you know, uh, learning Ray Brown, six minute whole songs, walking and solo. Like uh, at SUNY Purchase, we really got into it, you know, as far as transcription of, of deep jazz shit, you know, mm-hmm. learning some John Coltrane on electric bass, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, really pushing myself to be more melodic and, and, and get deeper. And, you know, it's funny because you once you start really looking up to those people, everything is possible. In my eyes, what I'm doing is not that crazy because, you know, I'm listening to John Coltrane all day. What's possible is certainly I'm only hitting the surface of it, of anything, because I'm constantly really pushing myself with stuff like that and have been forever, you know? And, you know, people like Thundercat that are, like, really pushing the envelope of, like, modern electric bass, I'm all over that, you know? Mm -hmm. Every time you put something out, I want to hear it. When I heard his music first in college, I was like, that's, that's it, man. Like the, <laughs> that dude's already doing what yeah. I want to do kind of, but like, I want to be involved with that kind of stuff. I, you know, I, I actually don't actively transcribe his music. Cause I feel like that's a rabbit hole. That's going to lead me into a terrible place. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I listen to it a lot and I'm, I'm super influenced by it. And I, you know, want to get around the bass like that, but maybe maybe in like a less of a fusion mm-hmm. setting and more of like uh like we were saying earlier, like a more Motown version of it. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, creating these kind of like rules for myself is definitely helping me refine what I want to do and how it's sounding to people recently. And that's been a big lesson to me. It's like, you know, like I was saying, like having some limitations, cause now I can do a lot of stuff with a computer. Like I can, if I feel like that, I can go a lot of directions, but it's like, what, which ones are actually going to like, I'm going to be playing back a million times. I can't help but listen to it myself. And yeah. Like, those ones that I want to text to my friends afterwards when I make them. Yeah. The ones that are making me feel like that, that, and you know, once that started to happen more and more, I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is different, you know? I want to ask you a little bit about the future because we've talked about the kind of changing technology and you've also mentioned Instagram a couple of times. Like, what do you see as the future of getting new music in front of people? Because it seems like you do a good job of using different, you use Bandcamp, you use Spotify, you use Instagram, you probably use a lot of other platforms. Like, do you see that continuing where you have to kind of like just reach people across tons of platforms? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, if anything, I feel like maybe I'm a step behind right now, to be honest with you, seeing what's happening with Twitch and, mm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I've just, I've been, uh, 
I wanted to make sure I have my music the way I want to present it before I come at you guys presenting it as if it's done and ready. Because I think I'm already doing too much of that, if anything. I mean, every Instagram post I have has somebody saying, "When can I? where can I hear this? And I'm like, oh, you can't. Sorry. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. I made this 20 minutes ago. Yeah. But that does keep people like engaged and, and paying attention. Totally. Totally. And, you know, that's one of the things I learned with the Mad Sata project, with uh, a project that I was actually just the social media coordinator for and not, it was just my job, actually, for mm-hmm. a little while in New York. That kind of stuff just like informed me of like, all right, this is what you should look out for if you want to get a project off the ground. If you actually care and like uh, you really want to do it, you just got to be really persistent with it. You know, I've been making, you know, two Instagram posts a week, probably without fail for like four or five years with cartoons yeah and only now is it really starting to like get to a point where there's like a buzz without me trying because mm-hmm. the whole time you're like you're just kind of uh, creating a buzz as much as you can but you know it's only so much i can do i, I just want to be consistent with it and i want people to know that like you know if they're a fan of my stuff i'm i'm gonna be working on it no matter what and I, i'm gonna do as much as i can to get stuff out like all the time I have very, very big aspirations of being able to do my own thing while, you know, servicing the people that, you know, I've been coming up with yeah. and, you know, making their records. Uh, I want to continue to do that. I want to continue to do more people that I haven't worked with yet. And yeah, I feel like I'm really just starting to get good now. So uh, I, I want to contribute, you know, as much as I can. There's like, there's, there's like a, a new generation, like a, we'll call it like the TikTok generation mm-hmm. that uh, I don't want to be asleep on. You know, mm-hmm. I, I understand that those are the people I really need to reach. The version of me that's 16 and loved MF Doom is the version of me that I really want to reach right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm trying to tap into some of that as much as I can. I mean, it's hard. Like, I feel like I'm getting old already. It's crazy. I'm, it feels like I'm like, uh, oh, man, these young, these young folks on <laughs> TikTok. Yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, I'm doing all I can. I mean, I just want the stuff to speak for itself, though. I mean, that's all I, are there specific people you want to work with? And I want to say that you you recently shared uh, something on Instagram and asked which rapper could you hear over this track. And uh, right, and, and yeah, that, that was, was that was a mistake. No, <laughs> are there are there people that you can hear over your tracks, or people you want to hear, or specific you know people you want to collaborate with, or things you like aspire to in that way? I know you just mentioned that you have aspirations. Are are there specific things you would point to? Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I'm lucky that a good amount of them that are my age, I'm already talking to on my phone and stuff and and really blessed to be already working with some of those people. And that's the stuff I'm most excited about, like I said. But, you know, I have my dream people I want to work with. I love Freddie Gibbs and Mad Lib's music. Mm -hmm. I want to somehow be involved in that, even though Mad Lib totally doesn't need me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Tyler, the creator's last album really had a big influence on me. Everybody that's ever been on Stone's Throw, you know, um, those are the people that I hear on my music. Uh, you know, I hear him of doom on every track I make, whatever. You know, and it, that's like the world I want to live in. I want to be like the nerdy white dude making samples uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and, and coming in and providing whatever service I can to kind of so these guys don't have to clear as many samples and we can really get really close to what they want. Yeah, uh, with with doing stuff from scratch, and I think with like the process that I've been developing that I was describing earlier, it's cool because I kind of have my own version of Splice. You know, when I work with artists now, I can kind of pull out you know stuff I've been working on, and we can we can draw from that, and um, that's stuff that no one else has. You know, that that's not like stuff that's on a sample pack for other people. That's not like a royalty free blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. It's something that's a little more personal than that. So I'm gonna just continue to do that and. Uh, I, I put myself out there as much as I can. You know, I'm constantly emailing people, seeing if people want to work together, blah, blah, blah. Sent out a pretty ambitious one yesterday that, okay. <laughs> you know, probably won't work out. But, you know, that's what I've been doing since, you know, 2011. You know, I'm probably going to continue to do that until uh, I can get to a point where I can start my own, whether that's a, you know, a record company or something where I can really focus the energy of the collective that I've been working with forever. And Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing the Saturday morning. LP. I can't wait to share it. I'm going to play a couple songs from it, too. Yeah. And people should stick around to hear Ben play some music. And thanks so much, Ben, for taking the time to talk. Of course. It was my pleasure. And now here's Ben performing Give It Up, That Thing, and Ben on the Run. 
Thanks for joining us. Past, Present, Future Live is hosted and produced by RJB. The executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit OsirisPod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love. 